every great dream begins with dreamers. Tom and Steve are strangers in a strange land. Join them on the journey from ignorance to knowledge, one book at a time, one chapter at a time. All aboard the Blunderground Railroad. Welcome back. Welcome back. We are discussing Notes from Underground uh, by Dostoevsky. Uh, this is chapter number five. Wow, this was a uh, this was a pretty big chapter. You know, I, uh, Steve, I sat down to write some notes on this chapter. You sat down for a while. I, I did actually. <laughs> I, I read the chapter, and and it was difficult. Uh, so if if you're out there and you read the chapter, and it made total sense to you the first time, then good for you. Uh, if not, yeah, we'd like to have you on the show. That's right. That's right. You can leave. That's right. You can brag in the comments there. You can. Um, uh, for us, I think for me, it was really difficult. Uh, I actually went through a couple different translations and, and sought out a lot of help. But there's a lot in this chapter. Um, uh, I think there's quite a bit in the chapter. Um, at the end of chapter four, uh, the underground man, man, he's talking about not about respect, okay, about not respecting yourself, right, and and about it's not possible to have respect for yourself at the beginning here how it's not possible to have respect for yourself. At the beginning of the chapter, it states, says, how is it at all possible for a man to have the slightest respect for himself if he has presumed to find pleasure even in the very sense of his own humiliation? And that harkens back to the end of chapter 4. And then he goes off on, on talking about uh, talking to his father uh, and, and talking about uh, and apologizing. Uh, he says he hated saying, forgive me, Papa. Forgive me, Papa. I won't do it again. Uh, and... He's talking about, and I think that this relates back to, to our current world, uh, mostly in the sense of creating narratives, right? Like narratives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so we have so many narratives uh, in our, our current world, especially on Twitter, political narratives, uh, narratives of the left, narratives of the right. Uh, hey, and he also says, uh, he goes on to say, not because he's incapable of saying that, but on the contrary. Perhaps just because I have been too capable of it, I found that to be interesting. Um, yeah. If you have to think about it, it almost seems like he thinks he's righteous or he's morally above everybody else. You know, it's this haughty sense. I think it, you'll see that more at the end of the chapter when he's talking about primary causes, and he, he's kind of like because he's always he gives himself the permission to to uh, to confront these primary causes. Right. And, and so he's always asking the question, uh, you know, and, and so you'll see this at the end of the chapter. You know, he'll say that the, the man of action is the man that says, well, I'm thirsty, so I'll take a drink. Right. And so the fact that he's thirsty becomes uh, becomes like this primary cause. Right. Like oh, I'm thirsty. Me drink. I mean, it's just kind of and, and what the underground man does. Right. The underground man goes straight to the primary source. OK, so. Like cut to the chase. So we're talking about objective standards, God. All right, we're talking about we're talking about God right here. So uh, to the underground man would say, "Well, I'm thirsty." Well, the underground man might say, "Well, why would God create beings who are thirsty? Like, why do I need to have a drink? Like, what? Why would I need to? Or, or nature? You know, like why would I have to? Uh, you know, why would I have to to drink X amount of times a day? You know, so and then it would be spite would be the reaction to that. 
you know. Sure. So I will not drink, even though I'm thirsty, and I will do that because I will spite. And yeah. it becomes and the spite itself becomes like this primary need for the underground man. Um, of course, we can never really know if somebody's faith uh, and their religion to God. That's that's between them and, and God only. Um, but as we went along in the chapter and as we've gone along in the book, yeah. we've gotten more clues that maybe he's struggling with the, you know, having the comforter. You know what I'm saying? Sure, sure, yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know if he just needs some fellowship, some exhortation. <laughs> um, I, I don't. We all struggle in different areas. We're all at different stages of our walk. I mean, I agree with this. I, I do. I, I think that it really comes down to having an objective, right? Having an objective. Because sometimes people do. People will uh, put things in the place of an objective. You know, sometimes it's, uh, for example, science, which is kind of, kind of an. Uh, I think Tolstoy made this observation uh, that science really is a is a is a what? It's an observational discipline. So when you're you're a scientist, will look at something, it'll observe something, and it'll say what. And he writes down what it is. And then he sees if he can observe it again and sees if he can find consistency in relation to other what's. But the scientist isn't really a why person. And they're not really asking why. That's more like the theologian. Yeah. 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 So people will put science into this uh, and, and they'll use that as an objective. Uh, and other people, uh, other people will do things, they'll, they'll, uh, whether or not they um, – uh, maybe uh, they, they have a, uh, some other thing for God. Uh, maybe they'll have a, uh, maybe it's a cult that they're involved in or, or perhaps, uh, um, you know, it's something else that they have. Uh, a lot of times in our modern age, it's distraction. So people fill that need with distraction. They just constantly distract themselves. We talk about the relationship between science and religion. It sure. always seems like they're polar opposites and you have to pick one. Yeah. And then... Here in the book, there's it's the same thing. The underground man paints the man of action, and then you have the man of uh, conscience. Sure. Consciousness. Consciousness, yeah. Right. Well, I, later on, I'll ask you know, the question, does it have to be one or the other? And Carl Sagan, and I came across, across this quote the other day, is, remember, he's a famous scientist. Oh, absolutely. So this, is, this is what he said. He absolutely. said, science is not only compatible with spirituality, it is a profound source of spirituality. Yeah. That's not the full quote, but right. for a very well-studied scientist yeah. to say that, especially that second half, it is a profound source of spirituality. Yeah. He's almost admitting there's some truth there. Yeah. No, it's really true. So that's straight from Sagan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting. Carl Sagan, uh, he had gave a speech, I think, and this is probably wrong, I think it was in the early 80s, maybe 83, he gave a famous speech. Uh, it's the one where he mentions star stuff. You know, he says uh, that's usually where people uh, remember the speech from. Sure. He had that term. It was a very sure. famous term that he said. Um, and in that same speech, he said he had another uh, part of it. It was a phrase. He said, the universe is all there is, all there was, and all there ever will be. Uh, and so uh, that was very interesting because it really put him into the religious grounds where he kind of created this box. He right? was searching for God. Yeah, he. I think a lot of theologians really they they kind of they they kind of approach this. They, it kind of I've heard it referred to before as the cosmic box, right? Yeah. The universe is all there is, all there was, sure. all there ever will be. Sure. So Sagan says, okay, we can draw this box, right? All there ever will be. So you can draw a three dimensional box around everything that ever will be. And this has a lot of moral connotation. I mean, if you really think of life this way. It's pretty profound because 
if that's true and we can draw a box around reality where everything that is is inside the box and everything that is not is outside the box, then you really start to waver on morality. You know? Sagan was like the, the Neil deGrasse Tyson before there was a Neil deGrasse Tyson, sort yeah. of. And Neil deGrasse Tyson has basically come out and said there is no God at all. He's yeah. rejected that idea right. uh, almost entirely uh, right. from an interview I watched uh, just the other day. I, again, I'm, the timing on this is really something. Yeah, it sure, <laughs> sure is. Um but he he's rejected the idea that that God even could exist. Yeah, it's true. Um, he sort of kind of throws out jokingly the idea of a God, but he's he's not of that belief. Yeah, I mean, no, I don't think so. Not not at all. I mean, I'm not really sure what his his ideas of God are. But people like him are they're interested in they're interested in a God without contribution. You know, it's kind of like God without a mouth. Yep. You know, they yep. don't want they they they, they kind of want God, and they almost kind of need God because they need them for for the uh, the framework of of their thinking, mm-hmm. but they don't want God. They don't want a God who speaks. Nope. You know, they're like you know, once God starts to have something to say about anything, yeah. that's where it all falls apart for them. They're, 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 that's they're they're out. They're not interested. Like most people. Right, like most people. They right. don't want somebody in charge of right. their thoughts, right. their actions. Right. They don't want to be accountable or answerable to anybody, right? I'm right. 21. The laws of the United States now say I can do everything I right. want to do. That's right. Short of, you know, crimes. Well, you know, it's, it's again, and I think, uh, you know, I, I recently heard, I think Doug Wilson was talking about this recently, you know, the, the, the horizontal line and the vertical line. So, you know, the vertical line goes through every human heart. You know, it's, 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 it's universal. We know what's good. We know what's bad. And what's good and bad, it doesn't matter if it happened 100 years ago or if it happened five minutes ago. It's still good or bad. Mm-hmm. And what people want is they want the horizontal line. Uh, because what they can do is they can they, they can be judged by their intentions. You know, they can say, "Well, I didn't mean to do it." That's I'm a good person, right? Exactly, right? Mm-hmm. Because, I, well, I'm a real good person. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. You know, I'm sorry that you felt that I hurt your feelings, but that wasn't my intent. Society has has reinforced this. Mm-hmm. You know, be your own you, be all you can be. Yolo, you, yeah, right. It's Yolo, man. You only live once. Yeah, right. So that's really what it is. It's all it's YOLO, and it's become, you know, YOLO has become like the 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 new John three sixteen. You know, like if you go to a NASCAR race or an NFL game, you're gonna see like YOLO in the end zone. You know. Yep. Yep. For sure. Yep. Yeah, and we see that right here in this chapter. As a matter of fact, the underground man, he talks about doing things out of habit, creating narratives. So three things that he mentions specifically in the chapter: mm-hmm. waxing tenderhearted. You ever done this before? Waxing tenderhearted. I, I'm not sure. What is that? You want to explain that? Well, I mean, probably you're a married guy, right? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, at some point you would have had to have done this, right? Oh, okay. Right, right? The, I, I don't, you'd have to give me these, a definition on this. These and thous and, you know, you know, you know. Well, I don't know. All this romantic speak, speak and, you know. Oh, oh yeah. No, yeah, definitely. Romantic Pebbles speak, right? at the window and stuff. Well, uh, yeah, things like, uh, you uh, know, like the old hot the old hot charm, you know I, I mean, right? I'd really rather right. not get into how we, well, we how, met. It's probably not. Well, probably not, but I mean, you know, hey, listen, the Hots conquered the West with their charm, you know, and this stuff goes down genetically through the lines. Yeah, that got messed up two generations ago. Through the generations, right? (laughs) So, you know, you got to, you know, you wax tenderhearted about uh, things, you know. People can look that up themselves. It's 
<laughs> <You're probably laughs> just, just look up Zane Gray and my family, and you'll you'll figure it out. There you go. You figure it out. You got it. Yep. The you know children will do this. You know when they talk about, uh, for example, they want to go to the amusement park or they want something. They say, "Oh, I've always wanted to do this. It's always been so. Oh, it's been my greatest wish. I want to so bad, right? You know this." Uh, um, uh, this is like a waxing of tender heart. Oh, that's familiar to me. I have six kids. Right, yeah, there you go. So, right, right, <laughs> Are we go. there yet? Are, are we there yet, right? There you go. So we have waxing, tenderhearted. Um, you know, repenting is another one. So, you know, repent. I'm sorry, right? I'm sorry. This guy has no kids, by the way. <laughs> Not that I've heard of. Well, I don't know. I mean, I mean, they may be illegitimate somewhere, but it doesn't seem like he has anyone to talk to, so I doubt it. Well, I don't know. He overthinks everything. So, I mean, why not have procreation to be part of that process? You know, he probably overthink that too, you know? You could think that into existence? Well, no, but you could probably overthink it, you know? I mean, that's what, uh, you know, so, I mean, take... <laughs> I guess I, I guess it, it gives a new. Where are you uh, going with this? I don't know. It gives a new definition. The you know all night. I mean, my, man, he'd be, he'd be talking, talking himself right out of it. <laughs> what? You know, I mean, the man of consciousness is smart enough to, you know, I mean, he's, 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 he, I don't know. I mean, he's smart enough to get married, but then he talks himself out of kids. I don't know. You know, but repenting this whole, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and shedding tears, right? You know, um, I uh, and so I have three kids myself, and so our youngest will do this. You know, she'll and I talked to her about it the other day. She'll, you know, she'll shed tears at the drop of hat, and I, I had to sit her down the other day, and I said, you know, sweetheart, you have to stop this. I mean, right? You, you can't train yourself to produce tears every time you don't get what you want, and and so you know, these are all things that we do train ourselves. Uh, you know, and the underground man he refers to it as hoodwinking hoodwinking myself he says and that's it mm-hmm. there at the end of the chapter um he says here I'll, I'll read it right out of the chapter yeah he he deceived himself i, I was like of what yeah here it says having knowingly uh, hoodwinked yourself mm-hmm. uh, and he talks about the result there at the end um but hoodwinking yourself uh you know of emotion right see the underground man doesn't feel real emotion because he's overthinking the emotion and he's not engaging the primary sources uh, that makes a little more sense all right so he's not he doesn't have real emotion sure. like because he can talk himself out of everything right he can talk himself out of feeling sad feeling happy feeling revenge yep. all these things so he doesn't even have real emotion he's too smart for that right right so and and the hard thing here in the chapter he can't even blame nature. I mean, right, you can go back to chapter four, and we had a discussion about that, um, you and I did, about, about his views on nature. You know, the man of action has this wall. It's like this objective, right? And so we have that in our society. We have people, we have, we have, uh, we have people who believe in God. We have, you know, so we have, they have that objective. And then we also have naturalists who will say, well, you know, there's a natural order to things. You know, maybe people who don't attend church or believe in God, but yet they... But you just said it right there. You said maybe. You said maybe. That is the problem. That's what I ask people. Yeah, here. How, your obje- where are you getting your standards from? That's what I ask people. Right. No, exactly. It's yeah. always a maybe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Epistemology. No, it's true. And and people, and that's true. And I agree with you. I mean, you do, you, people have to get, if they have a naturalistic epistemology, they need to, that points to a creator. I mean, Paul says that in Roman, Romans one. I mean, yeah, you know, they're without, you know, they're without excuse, right? Right, exactly. I mean, right. You can look around you and see it all around you. Yep. Uh, and so, and, and yeah, and then that's a great way to approach it. I mean, I agree. Even the underground man here, you, but he, the underground man, and you'll see here at the end of the chapter, it's spite. You know, it, re- it leads to this wickedness or this spite, and that's where it comes from. You know, that's where it comes from. We see this on Twitter. I mean, there's so much in the gender debate now, you know, the, the, the gender debate where 
people are talking all the time and, and people say, well, a man is a man and a woman is a woman. And then those kind of conversations always produce spite. Those conversations should end there. <laughs> a man is a man and a woman is a woman. A woman is a woman, right? That's a stupid conversation. Yeah, and we've allowed spite to really degrade the standard in this. And and, and it's one of the things that really brought me thinking about Dostoevsky and thinking about this 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 story. And just thinking about it in the sense that thinking about it in the sense that uh we have so much spite with these conversations in our culture result in spite, in, in, in a hard, aggressive style of spite. Uh, and, and, and that's what the underground man does and explains so well. Uh, you know, so, you know, he sees the wall, you know, that nothing is seen as objective for the man of conscience, all right? Like the underground man, and, and I would say a lot of our trolling types here on social media, it's the lack of objective. They don't want to acknowledge an objective. And really, that's where we're headed as a society. Because whether you like it or not, it comes down to, you know, it comes down to, because you can ask somebody, right? And, and, and that's where I think, you know, something that you and I, you know, tend to do. You can ask somebody, you know, do you fear God? Sure. And, and, and you know, I'm not saying, do you have adherence to the objective standards of the God of Isaac and the God of Abraham? You know, right? Right. right. I, I'm. That's not where I'm at. I'm just saying. Hey, you fear God just plainly, right? And most people will say they fear a God. Sure. Right. Exactly. But that's the the problem is getting everybody to agree that there is an objective standard. And it, boy, that's objective right. Objective standard is just a fancy way of saying there is a set of rules. Yeah. That's it. Right. No right. different than. Right. Then when you were a kid, except right. everyone had different parents. Well, guess what? We all have the same parent. Yeah. And I think this is where the culture is breaking because eventually at some point, at some point, people are going to have to understand that you can ask someone, is there an objective standard? And a yes answer, okay, even a partial yes answer is going to produce so much spite and so much social fragmentation that people are going to have to acknowledge. And I think that's step one. And step number two, I think, is people are going to have to acknowledge that we're really past the point of uh, of religious degradation, and we've actually achieved the point of failing social scripts. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, uh, you know, that, that's a conversation to be had at a different time. Uh, but I think really, you know, that is the sickness. I mean, when this sickness gets into your body, you, you, you see these degradating social scripts. And that's really, really, that's where we are now. Uh, and I think, really, that's where the underground man is, except the underground man is in a basement apartment somewhere lamenting his life alone, whereas we don't. We have legions of people who dominate the public square, make laws, enforce yep. laws, mm-hmm. and really are fundamental aspects of our institutional culture. And that is one of the reasons why we have cultural decline, I mean, excuse me, institutional decline, Oh, we have cultural decline as well. Yeah, I, I would say I'll that. give you that. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> and so, really, that's where the rubber meets the road. Is you know, I mean, when we are, you're able to sit someone down, and you're able to take one aspect, which is the degradation of social scripts, and then you have to really take institutional de- decline. And when you take those two aspects and you merge them together, whew, now you're talking. Well, they're not declined to some people. That's the problem. Some of these laws are victories because people want to enforce their own objective standard on other people. Well, I'll say this again. The uh, the underground man, hey, give him credit. He calls it for what it is. I mean, at the end of the chapter, he's like, man, this is spite. 
You know, he says, this is wickedness. It's spite. He's very intentional about doing it. Well, he's very self-aware. He is very self-aware, and I guess that's another problem in our society. We don't put names to things, and so it's very important, I think, to, to, put, the, to put names to things. And I think it was an issue in Dostoevsky's time as well. It had to be. I mean, I don't think you write something like this without this being just a little piece of you. I, maybe maybe bigger than a little piece. Yeah, boy. I'm absolutely, absolutely there. I, I agree there. You can't even read something like this without reflecting in yourself unless you have absolutely zero humility. Yeah, I mean, it was a... It, it was this chapter. I mean, I really thought about this for like, I don't know, like a pretty good half a day. I mean, pretty much. I mean, it, it, I just sat and just kind of boiled over some of the stuff in my mind, you know? Mm-hmm. So for the man of consciousness, right, he really talks about a life devised. Right? And he talks about, I mean, really it comes down to boredom. You know, he says, I devise a life so as to live. And that's what you have to do when you don't have that objective standard. I mean, right, you see this on Twitter all the time. People don't have a life, and so they devise a life. Um, you know, it's a, you know, whereas maybe like in certain communities, right? So you have certain communities, maybe in, say, uh, you know, uh, say in certain ethnic communities, uh, maybe uh, you'll have, uh, for example, higher crime rates um, in the urban centers, and then you'll have uh, a street crime, mm-hmm. you know? Well, maybe say, for example, like in the black community, you'll have a higher crime rate, uh, higher dropout rate uh, in higher urban crime. Uh, so, but for the white community, you have a different you have a different kind of devised life, and that devised life uh, for I think that particular demographic is really in on social media and it's institutionalized spite. You know, and it's this kind of institutionalized spite, uh, this kind of uh, this, this kind of culture war where people use it to attack the institutions. Uh, and it's a type of wickedness that uh, the underground man that never he he had the ability to recognize it and to name it, but never to lash out with it, right? Never to use it. Uh, and so, uh, I think that these days, what you were saying is it's true. We we don't have the ability to recognize it for what it is, but we certainly know how to use it. You know, it's kind of like a it's like a kid with a toy gun, you know, and that they know it's you know they they run around you know bang, 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 you know, and shooting everybody, but then they're not really sure. They don't really know that it's lethal, you know. It's kind of like, like an Al Baldwin situation, right? You know, people definitely do not have lives. I wonder where some of these people get the time to go back and forth with people. Mm. I barely have time to do things that are worth it. Yeah, no, and that's uh, that's that's uh, that's very true. And th- that actually, it's such a bigger conversation. We could go on with that because that, that has a lot to do with consumer culture, and with uh, with a culture of distraction, uh, we don't we have too much time on our hands, and and we don't, um, you know, we don't have, you know, people that are working, people that are poor, don't have time to sit around and think about all this stuff, you know. Uh, and it's one of the reasons, it being an English teacher and working with uh, working with children in developing countries and uh, uh, in other countries, you see this all the time. And I always say this, you know, people always look to Americans to figure out the problems. Because they're all too busy and they're too poor. They don't have they don't have these problems. And even if they did, they won't have the time to sit around and worry about them. So you know, we say these things first world problems. And when people look at America, I think that people when see people see America from a foreign from a foreign point of view, it's not that America has problems. That's not the issue. The issue is that America doesn't solve the problems. Like they they seem to be overcome by the problems and they have this inability to solve the issues. 
Uh, and so really that's kind of where we're supposed to do it. Like people say, well, Americans are very rich and they have very, they have lots of leisure and lots of free time. And in a lot of ways that's true, but what do we do with that free time? Right. We're, we're, we should be a people that approaches problems and, and, and create social stability. And that's really our greatest export is our confidence, our assuredness, our thought processes and the, the assured, the assurity of culture. Well, we've made life so easy. If you just look back maybe four generations, mm. uh, you're not living unless you're working your farm. Boy, you got you're it. not surviving. You got it. No time. Forget if even if there was internet back in that day, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think you're on it trolling people. Um, but you want to, to relate back to not having a life. Mm. Uh, the underground man doesn't seem to have much of a life. He's kind of self-consuming. Yeah, no, he kind of is, and I, I think here too, you know, even he wanted to run away from society. Remember, he used to have a job. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're right. You're right. He wanted he to did. retire with like six dollars, mm. and <laughs> he just didn't care anymore. Right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. No, he didn't. You're exactly right. Yeah. He didn't. But then again, also we see a similarity between the underground men and between, um, you know, I think your modern troll and your modern, uh, your modern spiteful person, uh, and and that's in his. He wants to project it, right? He wants to project it outward, you know. And I think in, in our modern time, it's social media. In his time, maybe it's the book. Because remember, he talks to the reader when he's, he's writing. He, he says, well, you know, you, you suppose that I'm, I'm laughing right now. Or you suppose that I think this or I think that. So he's talking. He's, he's pushing it outward, you know. And he mentions boredom here. And I, I wanted to kind of bring in a few quotes here yep. uh, for boredom because uh, it's a fascinating subject. Uh, Kierkegaard, uh, whom I love, uh, I love reading, uh, I love reading him. It says about boredom, boredom is the root of all evil, the despairing refusal to be oneself. Uh, you know, as for, for him, for Kierkegaard, it is, it is about authenticity. So boredom really is about authenticity. So there's an, an authentic Steve, there's an authentic Tom. And when you're embracing authenticity, you're really never bored because you're constantly pushing yourself outward. You know, you're, you're constantly engaging this truth, uh, you know. And, and so, uh, for example, you know, um, like in the church, they, 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 they talk about spiritual maturity this way. They'll say, well, a spiritually mature person, a Christian, a mature Christian, will always uh, be witnessing because they'll never be able to, they never want to stop talking about it. Uh, and so uh, they, they, you see that here, you know, they say, okay, the refusal to be oneself. So if you are, you know, uh, and I think, um, uh, you know, uh, Teller, you know, Teller, Penn and Teller, you know, says this. He's the famous atheist, you know, and he always says this too. Well, if I was the kind of person that believed that there was a real God, a real salvation, I wouldn't be able to talk. I would tell every single person I knew about it, you know, and I would never stop. Uh, you know, and this is, a, this is an acknowledgement of authenticity, that there's an authentic person, an authentic self within you, uh, which I think the underground man here would probably dispute uh, because he doesn't even stop for nature. I mean, he, he, refuses to, he refuses to acknowledge even nature, I mean, much less anything else. Yeah, I think he's so past the point of spite that he is willing pretty much to say anything to anybody Yeah. at this point. It really doesn't matter to him. He just doesn't have the opportunity or drive to go out and, and do it anymore. And uh, really, no matter who you are or what you are, um, authenticity, I don't think, means you have a drive to go do something. Sometimes 
People are authentically lazy. Mm. Mm. That's just who they are. Interesting. You know? Yeah, right. But inactivity is different. I would say inactivity is different than than being authentic in a negative way. Or inactivity different than boredom? You trying to draw a distinction? Yeah, I, you know, I I think I am. I think I and I think the underground man. That's a really great point, actually. And I think I am. And I think the underground man makes the same point uh, here in the chapter. Uh, you know, when he, he talks about, um, it, he talks about Inui. I was going to ask you because I didn't even have a chance to look that up. Yeah, Inui. What? Well, Inui. The definition. Uh, you know, so you'll see the Inui. Uh, we, so Inui is different a little bit than boredom. All right, so. Anui is, and here's the definition, right, for you and for the people out there at home. So, Anui, a feeling, I think it's Anui, a feeling of listlessness, a feeling of listlessness and dissatisfaction arising from a lack of mission or lack of excitement. Okay? That is, uh, that, so we're here we have an active, this is, this is not inactivity, all right? This is a lack of mission and a lack of excitement. All right? So, Everyone wants to impact the world. I mean, right? We we, we all do. I mean, right? Because we have kids. I mean, right? That's one thing that's different about. That's one thing about it's different when you become a parent. You know, whenever you become a parent, everything changes. I mean, one of the things that changes is that you get to live on, right? You get to live on beyond yourself uh, because you are going to impact that child every single day of your life. And after you, after you cease to be you know after maybe one day when you know you take up the rocking chair you know and you're collecting rust or if you you pass you pass away then you get to live on and because your influence lives on and so there's always this sense of mission like okay i want to be good i have to have a good day today because i want to have a good day for my kids right or there's a lack of excitement like i know i need to do something but i don't have any excitement over it you know and this is uh, for example someone has an important job but they have no excitement for the job and they don't want to do it any longer that was him. He was a government official. Yeah, right. No, it's true. You know, it's true. I mean, I know a guy who does uh, specialty repair, and he's one of the few guys that can do the repair. So it's essential. I mean, people can't operate the equipment unless he fixes it. And so he's really essential, but he has no excitement for it, and so it's zero. I'd argue that any job that lasts for any length of time is essential, or it wouldn't exist. Yeah, I mean that. I, yeah, it's true. I, yeah, that's true. It's a very good point. Um, you know, and um, but you don't always find mission in those jobs, and so people have to have kind of a you know you want a mission in life. You know, no, you, I don't think that maybe everybody would find purpose in bagging groceries, but right, somebody has to do it. Is my point? Well, no, and that and that's true. That's a very good point. Uh, but also too, there's a difference between. Like, there's certainly a difference between task and mission, right? You know, bagging groceries is more of a task, you know? So you say, well, you know, you don't, shouldn't lie around the house all day. It's time that you should go, you know, do a task. You, you need to be active, do something, right? So bag groceries is a task. And someone will say, you know, like the Bible says the worker's worth his wages, right? So we sure. got to make sure that there's money involved. Hey, it's a good thing, right? So they can go and bag groceries, and that's a good thing to get money for task. But I think as you mature, you know, whether... Whether or not, you know, maybe it's you're in the home and you're nurturing your home, you're nurturing your children, you're nurturing relationships, you're building community, or whether, you know, you're, you're out and about and you're, you, have, you have a mission for others. And, and, and uh, uh, so whichever one it is, you know, as an adult, you have a sense of mission. 
And so when you lack this, the underground man has neither. I mean, right? He has neither. He, he chooses got, not to. He does choose not to. That's exactly right. Here's, here's my argument, though. Maybe I can make this a little clearer. Sure. If you're bagging groceries, somebody else doesn't have to do it. Maybe you're saving somebody's shoulder. Maybe they have arthritis in yeah. their hands. Right. That... Comparing that to, okay, you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company or a mm. doctor. Sure. I don't think anyone is more important. Certainly in God's eyes, none of us are more important than the other. We are all given different uh, gifts. Yeah. Um, and that's straight from the Bible. No, it really is. Um, so I don't, with my military career. Sure. I d- just because I was a 13 Fox and I went out on combat missions. Yep. I don't say that the cooks who never saw the outside of the fob. Right. I don't look down on them and say, well, I'm better than you or I was more essential than you. Yeah. Well, certainly without eating, I'm not going out on those missions. Right. That's such a great point, Steve. And I think here, it really comes back down to the ultimate villain of our age, and that's deconstruction, what you see these days. Um, the underground man you know, doesn't accept this. It's an unspoken assumption in your statement, all right, about the bagger, okay? The, and, and again, it goes back to that vertical line, the vertical line that goes through every human heart. So you're basically assuming that saving somebody from shoulder pain is a good thing. And we've already deconstructed that. Underground man's already deconstructed that. You mean he finds pleasure in a toothache. So he says, well, I got a toothache, and, you know, it's a good thing, and, and this, is a, this is a good thing. So he's already deconstructed this. So the underground man is completely capable of deconstructing someone's shoulder pain. So, and, and I think this is where you see, and I, this is where I see it in Dostoevsky because he talks, this is, it's about deconstruction and where it ultimately leads you. You know, I think about, you know, you think about Sam Harris, right? So Sam Harris has a great quote. Uh, it's not really a great quote, but it, it's, it's pretty insightful. And he's talking about atheism, and he's talking about, uh, you know, this concept of free thinking. And he implores others. I could read the quote if I had it, but I don't. But he implores others to, he implores others to not use the term, right? He, he says, well, I'm an atheist, but he doesn't want to be called an atheist. He doesn't even want to be called a free thinker, right? Because he doesn't want to imply the objective, right? He doesn't want, not even in the speech, right? He, he'll, he'll tell atheists, he'll say, you know, when you say you're an atheist, well, I don't believe in God. Well, now you're acknowledging that God is a thing. And like an atheist should not even do that. Like, an, and, and for him, he uses the word underground, right? He says, that, he says, you know, atheists, free thinkers, don't even get involved. He says, go underground. Stop talking. Go underground and just deconstruct everything. You know, just again and again and again and just don't engage i deconstruct i i kind of look at it as uh desensitizing yeah very much so very much so very much so just just um disconnecting yourself from any sort of emotions um separating yourself from societal norms yeah right absolutely and you know absolutely and you know really you know looking towards Looking towards power as a mechanism, you know, and I'm sure that there's probably atheists who would say, well, we want to use our power to create a kind or better world. And I'm sure that's, that there are people that want to do that. Uh, but really, it comes down to it comes down to power and it comes down to logic and, and not to objective standards. I mean, it comes down to the power to create an objective standard. Yeah. 
Exactly. So here we have two we have two cycles here in this chapter. We have the cycle of the man of consciousness and we have the cycle of the man in action. And this is really where the quandary of the underground man in this chapter is really going to be put down. So the cycle of the man of consciousness. All right. So we have so effectively what we have here is we have the underground man is creating this devised life. It's a fake life, right? So He's taking offense on purpose. Right? He talks about being aware of, uh, aware of what he does. He's actually aware of what he's doing. He's taking offense when there is no offense. Uh, you know, we see this on social media all the time. You know, people will say something, and then people will just come in with some sort of contrary opinion, and th- there's some biting contrary opinion, and they just, boom, and it doesn't matter what it is. You know, they're not actually offended. You know, they probably don't, you know, they don't have skin in the game, you know, so they're not, it's not real offense, but they know enough to be dangerous. They know enough to come in and to be contrary and, and to be agitating. Well, everyone wants to be relevant. It's no different than a car accident. I, yeah. Everybody stops. I, I, you could have no experience, sure. you know, at all. Mm-hmm. You've never put a Band-Aid on somebody. You got it. And everybody wants to be the hero. I personally, maybe it's the wrong thing to do. I'm hoping I can get around it before they close the road. <laughs> not my monkeys, not my circus. I don't want anything. To, I got things to do. Right, you got things to do. You got things to do for the car accident. I think it's a great point about relevancy, and that is so true. Everybody wants to be relevant, and everybody, you know, I think a lot of it is, is and this is a different conversation for a different time, but, you know, what we've done in our generation, and especially my generation, Generation X, is we've separated out the concepts of rich and famous. You know, we used to be, when I was a boy, that you were either rich and famous or you weren't. And it wasn't really possible to be rich and not have everybody know who you were. And it wasn't possible to be famous and not have a lot of money. Yeah. And so what we've done is, I think, is my generation, and I really lay it on Generation X. I mean, if Generation X is known for anything, looking back through the years, you're going to have to blame them, I think, for this. And this is what we've done. And... It's a travesty. We've taken it. We've separated it. We've said, okay, we're going to be rich but not famous. And we're going to be famous but not rich. And so now we have – we've created this pariah, right? So we have people that – like hedge fund managers who have billions of dollars and no one even knows what their names are. That's because they don't have billions of dollars. They have billions of dollars on paper. It's on paper. Yeah, it's on paper, yeah. It's on paper. Yeah, but they use it to we've- disappear. They don't use it to be famous, right? The culture doesn't push them into that realm. Yeah, you know, but we have TikTok stars that are broke as a joke, you know. But then they're they're very famous, and I have, I have many people that, that follow I, that. I have a social media friend that has over one million views. It was, yeah. um, I think he had it was the first video to get over a million views in twenty four hours. Yeah, and he lives in a trailer park. In a trailer park, right there you go. <laughs> and we've made this the norm and not the exception. Yeah. And it's wild. It creates this this really if, upside down world. If you live in a trailer park, by the way, I just I grew up in one. I have nothing against you. Yeah, no, at I all. do. No, I do right, too. So that makes you could be very frugal. <laughs> right? Sure, they grew up. Right, right. There you go. That's fine. Yep. No, absolutely. So at this point, I grew up in one too, and I don't even have one one social media view. So <laughs> much less a million. So the um, so I, I think that you know we're looking at this. You know, we have this cycle. Okay, so. We have this ennui, and I do apologize for the linguist out there. I'm one myself, so it's kind of embarrassing. So we have the ennui, this feeling of listlessness and the lack of mission and the lack of excitement in your life. All right, and we, we also we take this with inertia, okay? 
So inertia, and the definition for inertia, is a tendency to do nothing, okay? To do nothing and to remain unchanged. So ennui plus inertia, all right? So we have the lack of mission plus the tendency to do nothing creates for the underground man or the man of consciousness the need for a devised life, okay? That's that devised life that he talks about. That's why he has to fake it. And if we take the devised life and we add to that the consciousness of the man of conscious, okay? The man of consciousness. So the man of consciousness can just deconstruct. He can question everything, okay? We add the devised life to the man of consciousness. This gives us the lack of self-respect that the underground man is talking about at the beginning of the chapter. Right. Right? When he's saying, he's saying to himself, he says, man, I'm the smartest guy around. I don't even have a life. I fake a life. All right, you know, because I, because I know better, but, and yet, where does this leave me? It leaves me without, without any respect for myself, right? And when the man of consciousness becomes aware of his own lack of self-respect, that feeds back into ennui, and it's a circle. Yep. You know, it's ennui to inertia, Add those together, get a need for a devised life, okay? Then you take that devised life and add it to the consciousness that the man of consciousness has, and it feeds right back into the inertia, and there's your feedback loop. I think 90% of us have some level of self-awareness, you know, and for <laughs> well, us— Because we have a level of objective standards, right? Well, yeah, yeah, Um I guess every person does, uh, whether you're, if you're a person of faith, then, um, God would be your objective. Well, that's what Aquinas argued. I mean, and, and this gets into, and the underground man talks about this in the chapter. It gets into this, uh, uh, these primary causes, right? We have primary cause. And then after that, we have a secondary cause. So a primary cause. So Aquinas, argued that God was the primary cause, all right? And I think I would agree with this. You know, you and I would agree with this. Uh, so we have the primary cause. This is the compelling authority or the force that causes further action or provides a reason for action. So it's your very reason for living or your very reason, your basis for action. Like, why bother, right? Like, why bother doing a thing in a day, right? right. Well, we would say God, Aquinas, would agree. So your secondary cause is proceeds from the primary cause and so forth and so on. And to the underground man, the man of action takes an immediate cause for a primary cause, okay? An immediate cause is something that happens to you in the immediate. It's an immediate cause, right? So, for example, um, I'm ill, right? So you have, so you have I'm ill. And therefore, I'll call a doctor. So therefore... Yeah, now. Yeah, so... Well, now, right? <laughs> to the, but to the man of action, right? The man of action says, okay, well, you know, it says... Uh, the man of action says, okay, well, I have a body. The body is created by God. Or my body is, comes from nature. So it has a natural state. Mm-hmm. And that natural state is one where I should feel good. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't feel good, he takes that for a primary cause. Basically, is truth as an objective, right? So the underground, so the, excuse me, not the underground man, but the man of action takes that 
as the primary cause. Well, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to call the doctor, right? So he has a lack of questions or a lack of doubt. See, the man, uh, the underground man has already dealt with this. He has a toothache, and he pounds the wall and says it makes him happy, right? Mm-hmm. So he's not even dealing with the immediate cause. He's going straight to he's going straight to the primary cause, which for the underground man is nature. All right? Maybe this will make sense if we let's take that circle. We had that circle for the man of consciousness. So let's go and we'll take a look at how that works for the man of action. All right. So the man of action has, and we go back to chapter three. If you go back to chapter three, you remember we're talking about this concept of revenge. All right. Revenge and justice. The man of action can get revenge. He can find revenge because he does not question or doubt his primary cause. All right. Justice becomes the primary cause. All right. If God says it, then it is. All right. So we, we have, you know, so, for example, uh, you know, if, if you see uh, if you see a moral dictate in the Bible, then you have right versus wrong. You have a primary cause. Yeah. Dostoevsky says that um, the man of action says being persuaded that he is doing a just and honest thing. And that's why he, he takes whatever action he takes. Yeah, very much so. Mm-hmm. So we have justice. Now, we have this sense of revenge, plus we have the sense of ease, okay? At least in my translation, that's what it's referred to as ease. And the underground man, the underground man talks about ease. And so this ease comes from the objective standard, all right? And it comes from this objective standard where he knows that he is approaching a primary cause, he doesn't need to question it or overthink it. It is. You know, God says, so I do, right? Obedience. So we have this ease plus revenge equals justice. Now, for the man of action, the justice plus the sense of primary cause leads back to your sense of ease, which is what I was just talking about. Ease, meaning an objective standard, plus revenge equals justice. Justice plus a sense of objectivity, which would be a primary cause, leads into additional ease. Then you take that ease back to revenge, to justice, meaning to do. The man of action constantly does. That's the cycle of the man of action. So we have, we have ennui, inertia, and a devised life. All right, a fake life. And really, what's fake about it? You act like there's an objective when you don't really believe that there is because you're not sure how to proceed forward without objectivity. So you fake it. It's an interesting breakdown of psychology, really. I mean, really, really, it really is. It really is. And how much of our modern ailments are just really breaking it down and getting back to that sense of objectivity and, and, and about authenticity. I mean, for Kierkegaard, it was authenticity about getting into inside of yourself and, and seeing what's authentic and, uh, and, and really relating that, that back to, you know, back to God and back to the Bible and things of this nature. But uh, it really is, you know. And so we have this devised life, whereas this man of action, it's real action, you know. It's ease and objectivity and it's action and it may not be complicated. That's one thing you notice is there's so much complication with the man of consciousness. And yet with the man of action, there really isn't. There really isn't. And so that's just going to lead us into the end of the chapter. Uh, you know, the quandary of the underground man, he doesn't have any primary causes. And therefore, 
He has no ease. And really, it, uh, it leads him to this discourse at the end of the chapter. Thank you for joining Tom and Steve on the Blunderground Railroad. Join us next time as we seek to travel from ignorance to knowledge. And check out their other podcasts, Notes from Blunderground and the Digital Blunderground. See you next time 